It's time for the IHSA Safety Podcast. Welcome to the IHSA Safety Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Rayner. On this episode of the podcast, we're joined once again by Kathy Martin, IHSA's mental health and wellness specialist. Welcome back, Kathy. Thank you. And Kathy, this is the eighth podcast that we've recorded together. So I will definitely encourage our listeners to go back to the other podcasts and review the guidance and the assistance that Kathy provides in the other seven podcasts that focus on mental health and wellness because they're terrific. And as Kathy has taught me in the past, it's very appropriate to provide notice to our listeners that we may be discussing some topics today that could prove challenging or difficult to some of our listeners. So be mindful as we're going to discuss trauma management. And as I understand, one of the characteristics of of traumatic events is that they occur suddenly, often without any warning. So Kathy's guidance today, we certainly hope, will provide our listeners an overview of how an employer who is prepared to manage and respond to traumatic incidents can provide support to those affected employees. And we know that many of our members have already established emergency plans to deal with physical health and safety of their workers. Our opportunity today is to better understand how to provide emotional and psychological support when an emergency occurs. And I came across a great quote, you know, uh, in preparation for this podcast, which was the only thing tougher than planning for a disaster is explaining why you didn't. And you know what, Kathy, I certainly hope that for our listeners that are listening to this podcast, they're going to get some information out of this that will help them prepare in the event a disaster or something traumatic occurs. So why don't we get into it, Kathy? What exactly is trauma management and why is it an important topic for us to discuss today? Well, first, Ken, I'd just like to thank you. That was a great quote. It's true. We we really must get prepared. And yes, as you said, I'm hoping that this podcast will help uh, our listeners. I have a few things to consider. So thanks for the first question. A couple of key things that first you really need to consider. And I think when referring to trauma management, what we're really talking about is often just a slice of what should be included in your emergency response plan. So you already mentioned that many of us have those uh, emergency response plans for the physical aspects of work. We really just need to embed this into what we already have. It's not an extra plan on the side. This should be embedded, but it's often missed. So we're going to just have a conversation today on what you need to consider. So really what we're talking about is how to respond to a traumatic event, which by the way, is an event that occurs, you know, with unusually strong reactions and has the potential to overwhelm someone's normal coping mechanism. So we're not talking about just everyday events. We're talking about traumatic events, those things that really often overwhelm many of us. And it's pretty easy, you know, if you're thinking about a small business to be in intensely focused on the management of the critical event, right? The event that might have just happened or that emergency situation. And rightly so. There's often a lot of factors at play when you're managing a work crisis. And if you're a small business owner, you know, you could be responsible for for everything like talking to the media, working alongside the police or the fire, contacting, you know, even workers' emergency contacts. And your focus usually is on what I would call business recovery. What we're going to talk about today, I like to think of trauma management really as people recovery. So you've got your business recovery, but this is about people recovery. Even if no one was injured, we can assume that there was no trauma happening for those exposed to that critical event or that emergency situation. So depending on the severity and the level of exposure and of course, lots of other things like the personal history of the individual and their coping abilities, 
Trauma can be problematic long-term for some, but really in the short term, if a traumatic event has happened, it usually is impacting most of us, if not all of us in the short term. So it's really good for employers to also know what that looks like. Trauma, as you know, can happen. And typically that event is shocking or scary or, you know, might be a dangerous experience. And this can also affect someone emotionally, not just emotionally, but physically as well. So even understanding what some of those physical shock reactions might look like is really important. So if you don't mind, Ken, I'd like to share a personal story. I love your personal stories, <laughs> Kathy. I, I, I know you do. So I put this one in just for you, Ken, and hopefully our listeners will in, uh, get something out of it as well. But you know, I was impacted by a couple traumatic experiences. Like as many of us, we, we have trauma that happens in our life. But, you know, for the listener, don't worry, I'll keep it to the basics and not really go into the great details of the events here. But, you know, if CPR stories are triggering for you, just be mindful these will be two uh, CPR stories. So years ago, I worked for a really large downtown Toronto hospital. And one morning I was having a one-to-one uh, meeting with my manager in her office. And we both worked, by the way, in HR department. And she told me she had a minor accident that morning while jogging with her dog. And she tripped and she fell over a curb. Now, she was telling me this because she was a bit sore and she was also distracted and having difficulty focusing on her meeting agenda. But five minutes after she told me this, she looked obviously in distress to me. And then she told me she thought she was possibly going to faint. So, you know, what you do when you think somebody's going to faint and you run to get some help. And that's what I did. I ran quickly to her desk and fortunately working in hospital, I was able to call a cold blue to get some assistance. And then I ran to the office, you know, next to us and I got my coworker to go sit with my manager while I went to the door to wait for the assistance to arrive, right? For the crash team to arrive. Now, I just want you to think about this for a minute. I worked in a hospital <laughs> um, with no 911 call to make. I didn't have that 20 minute you know, window to have to wait. But simply, I just called the cold blue, which brought to the office one of the leading crash teams from the cardiac unit that literally was just down the hall from the, de- the HR department. We were on the same floor, same hallway. So this crash team got to the room and I swear it was probably 90 seconds. It was so fast and overwhelming. But for her situation, it was great because my manager, she ended up collapsing pretty much right when the crash team arrived to her office. So she did faint and and it ended up she, she went in cardiac arrest, which was really shocking to all of us, you know, for me in particular, because she just told me she fell and tripped you know jogging with her dog it didn't sound like much um and to then have her collapse and and them doing cpr on her was kind of jarring for me but long story short it really wasn't a big deal for the crash team obviously (laughs) this is what they do daily right all day long Um, but for me and those in the hr department it certainly was a little more traumatic now i'm sharing this to let you know that my manager you know she got excellent care and injury she fully recovered you know and after a few days of high emotions and lots of chatter around the hr department, everyone seemed to be able to shake it off and got back to work and things, you know, seemed to be back to normal. Now, on the other hand, I had a great amount of personal stress happening at that time in my life. Then this event happened and I was quite jarred by my role that I played and being a bystander and, you know, the what ifs, what if I hadn't called the crash team right away? What if, what if? And then I was told, you know, take a day or two off because I was struggling if I wanted to by the acting manager. But then that Dare too actually ended up turning into a six-month leave of absence for mental health reasons. So my coworkers saw me as like someone like, oh, you know, all of a sudden off work right after this incident. Now, 
like I said, lots was happening um, in my personal life, but this event was really a trigger for me and my coping skills, you know, then kind of unraveled at that point. Got back to work eventually as, as anticipated, but then similar situation years later, I had to deliver CPR on my dad. Although, you know, it was stressful in that situation, I was able to bounce back and cope fine with my day to day. You know, of course, I went through the normal grieving process. My father just died. I delivered CPR, but it was nowhere near as triggering as the previous event. So as you can see, these were two very different reactions to two traumas. The one that you would think would trigger a stronger stress reaction would be my father's death. However, this was way less triggering than my manager's. It was really simply more about the state of my well-being prior to that that played a role. But for others, it could be past traumas maybe that triggered it, right? Maybe they had witnessed CPR prior. For me, that was not the case. It was just really I was already kind of struggling, and this was sort of the tipping point. The thing is, we don't really know what will trigger that strong stress reaction and what will take people longer to recover and bounce back. And this is why it's important really for managers and supervisors and, of course, small business owners to really understand the nature of trauma exposure and also have a plan to address it when it happens. So, yeah, I think that's just you know, what I'd like to leave with that. Wow, Kathy. So thanks very much for sharing those two personal stories. And thanks for illustrating how you can't just, you know, draw a straight line between something that dramatic that happens and say, well, this is the this is the type of reaction that we expect from a worker or an employee or someone else. Like you just don't know. You don't know, as you said, in terms of, you know, the, the relationship that person has, that doesn't necessarily constitute the reaction. It could be all the other things that are going on in their life that you're not aware of, right? That's going to cause them to not be able to cope as well with that particular traumatic event that happened. So, wow, that's, Kathy, that, those were two really important stories to share. And thank you very much for sharing such, uh, you know, personal stories for the benefit of our listeners. And, and I can better appreciate why an employer or supervisor who has some knowledge and understanding of trauma management will be much better prepared to support the needs of their workers should such an incident occur within the workplace or outside it. Because it can happen just like that. And again, it can happen where someone that's been exercising and goes out and, and is jogging with their dog and has a fall that doesn't seem to amount to much, all of a sudden now you're dealing with a traumatic, unexpected uh, incident in the workplace. So Kathy, what else can, you know, what, what else can we uh, sort of some other knowledge in terms of trauma management that we need to discuss? Well, most companies, big or small, usually have given some thought on how they'll handle emergencies as we talked, um, but understanding how to respond as we've been talking to trauma when it strikes is really important to have that knowledge and to have in place ahead of time. So like, as I said, you can appreciate, and as you mentioned, it can just sneak up on you, right? So knowing what to do beforehand is what we're really trying to drive home here today. So we often think of traumatic events like a fire. I worked for a bank, so traumatic events, we thought about robberies a lot. Um, or you might think of in the construction industry like as a, a fatal accident, right? Somebody fell from heights. But trauma can come from many forms, both from our personal and our working lives. It's not just, you know, bomb threats and terrorist attacks, right? And, you know, as my story illustrated, trauma exposure can have a significant impact on some individuals, and we just never know who that person will be. So we typically think it'll be 
those closest, in my case, my manager would be having this stress reaction or perhaps the crash team. But really, it was myself as that bystander that was likely, you know, in this case, the most impacted, right? So I think we need to really also look at the level of exposure, who's been exposed, not just limited to those immediately impacted, right? Like the one that did the CPR or the one who was injured or had the incident happen to them. You know, we need to look at those those bystanders in particular. Now, regardless if you're a small or large employer, trauma management really can be kept simple. I'm not asking people to create this elaborate plan here, but it, what's most important, and I hope the key message is that it's not forgotten. So when you're doing your emergency plan review, because, you know, typically they're reviewed every so many years, consider, you know, your trauma management or that people recovery piece. Make sure that it's not been forgotten. All right, Kathy, you mentioned having an emergency plan. And we know the Ontario Construction Projects Regulation require the instructor to establish written procedures to be followed in the event of an emergency for every project. And that means that planning for emergencies must begin before any work starts. So on IHSA's website, we do provide direction on developing an emergency plan and recommend addressing the topic of debriefing and post-traumatic stress procedure. Now, that sounds a lot like your people recovery plan to me. So maybe we can get into a little bit more about that people recovery plan, because I'm just envisioning for the you know majority maybe of our membership who have got an emergency plan in place, maybe not all the puzzle pieces are now in that puzzle. Maybe there's a few gaps and holes there and that that gap and hole might be the people recovery plan because I'm going to anticipate that although we've really prepared well for physical health and safety, mental, emotional, psychological, still lots of opportunity to improve upon that. Yeah, well, thanks, Ken. Yeah, really when you're developing an emergency plan or you know, a crisis plan, whatever you want to call it, typically there's there's different models out there, but you know, there are four basic phases in developing a crisis management plan. And what I want the listeners to do is sort of think about how you might approach people recovery or trauma management within these four phases. This is really what needs to get done when when you're developing a plan. So the four phases of crisis management simply are prevention. Number two is preparedness. Number three is developing your response or your incident management, how you're going to manage that incident. And of course, recovery. So how you might think about trauma from a prevention standpoint, like some people say, well, you know, how can I prevent trauma from happening? I just say, would say, well, you know, it's really all about health and safety, right? It's all about safety and accident prevention in the workplace. And I don't really want to go into too much here. You know, I trust IHSA's other podcasts and resources are supporting you in that effort. There's lots we can do to prevent, you know, having trauma in the workplace. But when trauma does occur, we want to be prepared. And so we're really looking at those other three areas, preparedness, response, and recovery. So now I'll give you a few activities businesses can consider in order to be more prepared. Um, The first is education and training, both for yourself, if you're a small business owner who manages people, or for your frontline supervisors and managers, of course, on what to expect after a traumatic event and how to support someone. The second you should consider is what uh, resources you might want to have on hand. When you're talking about people recovery or trauma management, you might want to have on hand some resources about 
what a tr normal trauma response might look like. This can be in the simple form of a handout, and you can give it to those who've been exposed, you know, to bystanders, and certainly um, to those who are directly involved. And this will help them know what to expect and when to consider seeking help. Because we know in in very traumatic experiences, we're all going to have a some sort of response. Now, the third is your procedures and policies that help outline um, who does what and when. Your emergency plans likely have that. You know, do you have an emergency response team, right? When you're looking at your emergency response team, you want to think about with the recovery plan or the people recovery plan, who's going to do what? And you want to build that in. Lastly, you know, it's simple to get prepared by just... <laughs> writing it down. We need to review this. So this needs to be more than, uh, I think, Ken, you just mentioned in, uh, you know, one or two words, right? In your emergency plan, you want to spell that out. What does that actually look like? So make sure that you're doing that in your emergency plan. And if you want to hold it separately, you know, say refer to the people recovery plan, that's fine too, depending on the size of your organization. So this is a really good learning opportunity for business owners, you know, just take some time to develop out a plan, you know, in a small business, this might be, you know, your, you yourself as the owner or senior managers, or you, maybe you have a health and safety rep. This is a great exercise for them to take on. Regardless of the size, you know, it forces businesses, like I said, to think more concretely about the steps they want to take. And you're not just winging it, right, when a traumatic incident occurs. And trust me, you don't really want to be winging it. We wing enough when an event happens, right? Yet luckily, trauma response is one area we can plan for with some level of confidence. We know, you know, there's some tools and resources out there. Thanks very much, Kathy. Look, you provided some great ideas how you can prepare as an employer to support a traumatic experience in the workplace. Can we go back to your story? Because when that incident occurred, obviously you were dealing with trauma. So if I was part of that management team at that large hospital and I came to provide support and I saw you, you know, as someone who had witnessed the entire thing and been a part of it, and I've got some understanding and awareness about trauma management, I want to provide some level of support to you. So what does that look like? <laughs> Great question. Um, I guess my best advice is not to ignore those who've been exposed <laughs> to the drama. As in my case, I felt kind of left to the wayside and, and kind of dangling in the wind. And certainly don't ignore those who may be having a stress reaction. And we can tell when people are having a stress reaction. You know, you have it can be physical, right? You can see people cry. You can see them overwhelmed. Um, so if you see that, you know, definitely... Uh, check in with the individual that might be having a stress reaction. But the first thing you need to consider really is who's been exposed and to what degree. And this will help guide your actions. If you're, you know, if it's a large event, you know, you may not be able to handle this all on your own. You might be, need to call in some reinforcements. That could be um, an employee assistance uh, team that comes in and help you through your EFAP if you have one, that, which is an employee assistance program. Or maybe it's calling um, the police department and having victim services come in. It, it really depends on the trauma and the event. But there are tools and resources that I'm going to share that'll help you sort of determining the level exposure. And I would think the level of intervention as well. But we're going to skip over that for now. One of the key things, like I said, to remember is to respond <laughs> to those who are having that crisis reaction. But you need to keep things brief and, and simple. 
after a crisis or a traumatic event. It's common and quite normal for people to experience these emotional aftershocks or stress reactions. And sometimes these occur immediately and sometimes it can occur hours or days or weeks or even months after the event. And these reactions can last, like I said, days, weeks, and in some cases even longer, depending on the impact and the severity of the crisis or the trauma. So while it's impossible to know exactly how an individual react, it's important to understand that trauma affects people in many different ways. Like myself, in the story that I showed, even myself, I reacted differently um, to you know similar type traumas. These reactions are part of the stress response and they're really not a sign of weakness or inability to do your job. It's, it's just human nature, right? It's how we're built. So although I've been trained, you know, in crisis response, I'm by no expert, uh, no expert really in it. So I would strongly encourage those listening to the podcast who want to learn more information on how to, you know, sort of do a formal intervention or if there's a large crisis response needed to go to the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation or ICISF and for more information. And I'll make sure that the link is provided in the resources for this episode, but the website for those listeners is icisf.org. Lots of great resources and tools for employers on actually managing um, the response when the event is occurring and shortly after. And what ICISF states is that people, you know, in a traumatic event, they respond to simple, not complex issues during a crisis. So interventions really need to be kept simple, not just simple, but keep interactions short. So those short contacts can be like a few minutes up to a maximum of an hour. You don't want to sit down with somebody and go over and over (laughs) for how they're feeling, but, you know, give them some space to talk. And these interactions typically, you know, you might have like three to five contacts to complete sort of that intervention. So in my case, just to kind of give a concrete example, what three to five contacts might look like is, oh, you know, checking in with me that day. How are you doing? Are you coping okay? Um, You look like you're distressed. Do you need, do you need something from me, right? Do you need time off? Keep it short. And I might say, yeah, I need to get the heck out of here, (laughs) right? And go home and you know, just be with my kids and and decompress. So that might be one. And then, you know, two might be, you know, Kathy's called in sick the last couple of days. Let's, you know, call and check in on. So yeah, it was a pretty stressful event. How are you doing? Sounds like you're you're still struggling. And then maybe it's maybe a, a 20 minute conversation about how, you know, how I'm reacting, those aftershocks, what those are, what I'm experiencing. And maybe it's a discussion. Well, it sounds like you need a little more time off. And then, you know, as you can see, it progresses until the person, you know, seems to be back and, and on their feet. So it's not just a one and done. This isn't just about here. Here's a sheet (laughs) at the time and and this is what you can expect and no follow-up. You need to have some sort of follow-up. But a crisis reaction demands rapid intervention because people can go into shock, right? Depending on the crisis. So you don't want to ignore it. You want to get in there and have a conversation, make sure the person's doing okay. Because delays can cause more pain and, and more complications. Like in my case, being left with lots of questions and things going on. Also, you know, they state like when possible, the crisis intervener, which would be yourself or maybe a manager, supervisor, they really are working to set up expectations of a reasonable outcome. So when you are talking and you're kind of engaging those conversations, (laughs) you want to instill some hope right? That this is going to get better. That we're going to have some positive outcomes here. This is going to subside and, and, you know, it's normal to be, you know, overwhelmed and you're going to get through this. And so that means you need to also employ people who 
who kind of have those skills, right? <laughs> and who've maybe been trained on how to do this so that they can instill that hope and, and calm because, you know, not everyone has that ability at the time of the crisis to instill that. So that's where training is really important. And also, you know, like I said, when you're asked to manage emotionally charged situations, it's also critical to be looking out for those who are doing the responding on your behalf of your company. So let's not forget our interveners, our managers, our supervisors who are there trying to support their team. It's good to check in with them too. Boy, that was stressful. You you dealt with a lot today. How are you doing? And, and I think that's a really important key piece. Yeah, some great advice, Kathy. So that, okay, so that's dealing with, uh, let's say, you know, an, an incident that occurs in the workplace. Now, as again, the question I asked you was it was based on on me being somewhat involved, you know, as as I, if I'm, you know, if I was that manager or another member of management in the large hospital, and I'm and I'm arriving, I may not have seen it uh, occur, but now I've got some context, and I've I'm I'm sort of being able to witness what's going on, and so you know, I I think I've got some perspective and being able to maybe provide some assistance, and hopefully I've I've got some training and awareness on how to do that. But what happens when the traumatic event happens outside of the workplace where there's no context? All you know is somebody's coming in and maybe you're hearing a story about something that's occurred and, and or maybe, you know, you're just noticing that person is just not acting in the normal behavior that they are, you know, you're usually accustomed to and you can see something's really wrong. How do you as an employer provide support to that, to that employee when the traumatic event has happened outside of the workplace and now they're returning to the workplace? Yeah, no, it's, again, um, you know, a really important area because we know trauma is happening all around us and often it is in our personal lives. So good news, <laughs> we can actually adopt some of the principles from ICISF, <laughs> International Critical Incident Stress Foundation. Um, they have some things we can consider when planning sort of those post-incident needs of workers, so which can be applied to those who've been traumatized in their personal lives as well. It just, it's either or, right? You just know a trauma has uh, occurred. And a couple of things they mentioned is to ensure that the worker knows where to access supports if needed, right? This could be your local crisis lines, counseling services that might be available in your community, or if you have one, it could be the Employee Family Assistance Program. These are formal supports, but it's really important not to forget um, to make sure that they know where to find emotional support from their peers in the workplace or, or HR or even yourself. Um, social support is really important. And also ensure that they understand that they have also access to accommodation return to work process, especially if they're finding it hard to remain able to function in their main duties at work. Yet you need to underscore that this would need sort of that medical support as well. You would need to get off to your doctor, um, but that's available to them. And re remember, regardless of the size of the company, you are required to offer reasonable accommodation to undo hardship to workers who are experiencing a disabling mental health condition. And this could happen during those stress reactions after a trauma, you know, so it's really important to make sure that they are aware that that uh, is available to them. And I guess a couple of other things is, do you have someone who is going to go check in on the individual or do those follow-ups? Often, you know, at the, the day of, everybody's great to support each other and then, then it sort of drops. So if this was a workplace incident um, 
anyone who was exposed to the trauma, you know, are they being followed up on? And more importantly, do they know what to look for in themselves, right? Remember, we talked about getting prepared by doing some training on what to look for and what to notice after a traumatic experience or how to recognize when someone's struggling with their mental well-being. Well, we can also teach that to our, our workers beforehand as well. Um, so when they have a trauma happening in their personal life, um, they're a little step ahead. So that's often why we talk about uh, workplace mental health and doing mental health training on what to do when someone's struggling. And we can talk about trauma when we're doing that as well. So Ken, you know, another important thing in my experience is really to understand that sort of insidious nature of trauma. Help the worker to understand or remind them about that concept of the emotional aftershock. You might think you're doing fine. <laughs> and we all hear different stories of someone who was in a pretty serious traumatic event. Um, they're doing fine. And then, you know, three months later, they, they seem to have that emotional aftershock and they're really struggling. So helping workers when you're doing that training to understand that concept, I think is really important as well. Okay. So Kathy, when the crisis is over, you know, you've got, you've got someone, let's say that a physical crisis has occurred, an instance occurred, someone breaks their arm and you're going to see them recover, right? You're going to see them as the recovery goes on, the cast is going to come off or, you know, the brace they're wearing, and you're going to see them being able to use their arm in the same way as they're using their other arm and they're returning to full health. When somebody has suffered a traumatic issue from a mental, psychological, emotional standpoint, maybe it's not that easy to, to understand when they're back, you know, from a full health perspective. So how, as an employer, can we continue to aid in that worker's recovery from that traumatic event? Well, I think simply we can offer some social support by being present and ensuring, um, you know, that the worker knows that you're open to talking if they wish to discuss anything but one thing we really haven't spoken about today that I think is really critical for all of us to have success, um, especially, uh, you know, in offering social support, is to ensure that the workplace culture is one of support and understanding. And this can't be done on the fly. It has to be there before the crisis or trauma strikes. Perhaps we can talk about that the next podcast, Ken, um, on, you know, how to build that supportive workplace culture. What do you think? Uh, I think these podcasts on mental health are, are really needed. Again, talking about that you know, that puzzle that we've got um, in, in regards to just all the puzzle pieces to address physical health and safety. I think there's still work that needs to be done from a mental health perspective in the workplaces in Ontario. And this is a great avenue to be able to discuss this on these podcasts with you, Kathy. So I am always open to discussing a mental health uh, topic with you. And I look forward to our next discussion. So Kathy, Thanks very much for being here again and sharing this information. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. All right. And thank you to the listeners for listening to the IHSA Safety Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like us on your podcast channel and visit us at ihsa.ca for a wealth of health and safety resources and information. The IHSA Safety Podcast. For more episodes, tips, and all things safety, go to ihsasafetypodcast.ca. Thanks for listening. Start each workday by reinforcing awareness and control of hazards in your workplace with a five-minute safety talk. IHSA's free safety talks manual covers over 150 topics such as personal protective equipment and traffic control with more topics added all the time. Visit IHSA.ca to download your free IHSA safety talks manual today.